Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Michael McKee and Francine Lacroix. And the opening bell brought to you by Pershing's Inside 2016 Conference. A must-attend for advisors June 7th through the 9th in Orlando, Florida. Register at Insight2016.com. That's I-N-S-I-T-E 2016.com. And stocks are lower at the open. The S&P 500 down a quarter of a percent, down five points to 2086. Dow Jones Industrial Average down three-tenths percent or 55 points to 17,900. The Nasdaq's down three-tenths percent, or 15 points, to 48.90. Ten-year Treasury down three-thirty seconds. The yield 1.89 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.82 percent. NYMEX crude oil up two-tenths percent, or nine cents, to 43.82 a barrel. COMEX gold up seven-tenths percent, or eight dollars ten cents, to 12.38 ten an ounce. The euro, a dollar 12.51. The yen, 111.20. Mike and Francine. Now let's get back to Wells Capital Senior Portfolio Manager. She's Margie Patel. Margie, you were telling us some of the equity sectors that you were preferring, defense sectors, utilities, healthcare stocks. Is there anything that you can find in fixed income? Do you still like high yield? I think high yield is a pretty good investment, especially the top, say, third, the double B names, the B-plus names. But here again, the problem is they've had a big correction back up like equities have, so double Bs have an average yield of, say, five and a quarter, single Bs maybe seven and a half. Um, Not bad because I think defaults will be very low, but not near the typical double-digit returns that people think they should get from high yield. Margie, overall, it seems that when you look at equities, uh, they're not doing much. They're not doing terribly bad, but they're not doing terribly well either. What can change that? Is there a single shift? Is it Janet Yellen? Is it some kind of cathartic crisis in China that can reset equities? Well, I think that we should expect more of the same from Chairman Yellen, which is a backdrop of trying to be very, very sympathetic and non-disruptive to the market. Um, So no surprises there as far as rates going up. If there's a surprise, I think it will be more related to energy because energy is still, I think, the weakest link in the world economies or uh, one of the emerging market countries. They have um, they've been hit by commodities collapsing. They've been hit by the fact that they all have record high debt, and that's always a recipe for um, a tipping in an accident. So I would say maybe emerging markets might be the accident or uh, the energy sector would cause uh, stocks to go lower. Well, it is uh, World uh, Central Bank Week, I guess, when you you look at it. Uh, (laughs) And what we have not seen is the dollar rise, as the Fed feared. It's gone down since they raised rates. What do you see happening in uh, the dollar and bond markets going forward if the Fed stands pat for longer and other central banks keep stimulating? I think the trend, the long-term trend of the dollar over the next year or so is still to be higher. But over the short-term, dollar trading is so technical. You had a um, very, very strong move up in the dollar. Now I think the traders, technicians um, feel that the dollar should continue to come off when Janet indicated she wasn't going to be as aggressive on tightening. But I think we're going to see a rotation back to the dollar strength. So in other words, just more meaningless 
ebb and flow around the trend, but the trend of the dollar, I think, is a little um, higher compared to most other currencies. But do we see a lot of uh, money continue to flow in the U.S. because it has, uh, you know, essentially uh, the highest interest rate for, for anybody to get some kind of return? Yes, we have the highest interest rate. We have a currency that's stable to appreciating. And we have actually one of the strongest economies, even though the growth looks like it's going to be maybe 1.5% this year. So I think that will continue to pull money in, looking at other investment opportunities. And we've had a big bounce back in some of the smaller emerging markets here from the very low points. So I think that may pull more conservative money into the U.S. again. Uh, Margie, apart from what you were, I guess, alluding to was, was possible defaults or some kind of debt going wrong around the world, how concerned are you about a policy mishap? So either uh, the central bank in you know, the BOJ or the ECB or even the Fed actually doing a policy mistake? Oh, I think that I think they're on a um, this whole negative zero interest rates is a long-term policy mistake, but I don't think it's going to cause a blow-up. I think it's more just um, more or less sapping growth, um, deflecting flows of credit into uh, less efficient areas. You know, very large companies um, rather than uh, than. Uh, getting people to invest money in small businesses and so forth. So I just see more of an erosion of potential growth rather than a big bang kind of thing because of what the banks are doing, central banks. Are are you concerned about banks, the banking industry, because of negative rates? I know it's far from, you know, talking really about negative rates in the U.S., but it must have an impact. If Japan goes into negative, that hurts the banks. There must be a linkage with U.S. banks. I think U.S. banks are are very sound because they do have much more liquidity. They have the higher capital requirements, and their loans have been pretty conservative. They may have some mild losses in the energy space, but that's nowhere as big as the losses from the housing sector. So I think our banks are looking very good, and the only criticism would be is where is the growth going to come from because they don't have any areas of a huge incremental loan demand, and they still have a lot of uh, regulatory limits that limit what they can do that used to provide a real lift in earnings. So I would say very subdued growth, but very, very little fundamental risk from the banks because of bad loans or anything like that. Well, we're seeing default rates stay low. We're seeing, uh, even though the Fed's raised rates, the banks are, well, even though or because uh, we're seeing an increase in lending to businesses, would a Fed rate increase be all that bad for the economy? No, I think it would actually be a step towards normalcy and uh, rewarding savers who have been just really hurt very badly to to not be able to get any kind of return on the risk-free investments. So I don't think that would hurt at all, Um, but it looks like we are a long way from that. Marky, what's your take on emerging markets? So a lot of the industries that you talked about being overweight or actually liking, of course, have a, a direct linkage to emerging markets. They were extremely volatile, now easing a little bit. But are you concerned that volatility will come back? Yes, because at the end of the day, all the emerging markets are commodity-based, and commodity demand and pricing at best looks stable but looks like both demand and prices may go down. And again, um, virtually every emerging market that I've looked at has record high debt levels. Um, It may not be dollar denominated, but debt is still debt. So it just seems to me that they've um, spent a lot of money, borrowed a lot of money, and don't have a lot to show for it. And they're still the same type of rather inefficient um, commodity-based economies. And that, to me, doesn't look very attractive. 
Margie Patel, Wells Capital Management. Thanks for being with us today here on Surveillance. Interesting times. Um, but uh, I have to, uh, Fran, issue maybe a surveillance clarification, if, if not correction here. We said we were talking about Saudi Aramco and the $2 trillion it may be worth, according mm-hmm. to uh, the Saudi prince. And we said it make it like the seventh or eighth biggest country. And that's because I'm looking at the market cap and comparing it to GDP. And Dan writes in. Uh, one of our loyal listeners and says, you know, you're an idiot uh, because it, it's, you know, the market cap is is not what their annual revenue is. And the annual revenue would be more comparable to GDP. So the annual revenue is $378 billion, makes them the 30th largest country in the world. I don't know. I don't know. It's debatable, Mike. I think you're right. You can look at You can look at market cap. I'm going with you. I'm going along, Michael McKee, on this. <laughs> All right. Anyway, it's either the seventh biggest co- company in, uh, country in the world or the 30th. But in any case, it's uh, a privately owned oil company. Well, state owned at this point. You'll be able to pick up a small portion of it uh, when the Saudis put it on the market. In the meantime, we're getting you uh, into the day with stocks down just a little bit at uh, the moment. We're going to check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world international headlines. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Volvo White Cars White Plains. Visit VolvoCarsWhitePlains.com. Michael. Mike Francine, thank you very much. President Obama announced today that he will send 250 additional special forces to Syria to help local forces in the fight against the Islamic State group. The president spoke today in Hanover, Germany. They're not going to be leading the fight on the ground, but they will be essential in providing the training and assisting local forces, they continue to drive ISIL back. The 250 special forces will join the already 50 or so there in Syria. Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton can't win enough delegates to officially knock Bernie Sanders out of the race, but she can put it almost out of reach tomorrow. 384 Democratic delegates are at stake in primaries in Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. Republicans Ted Cruz and John Kasich have made a deal to try and take as many delegates away from front-runner Donald Trump. Kasich says he will get out of the way and give Cruz a clear path in Indiana. In return, Cruz says he'll clear the path for Kasich in Oregon and to New Mexico in their primaries. Trump's campaign calls it a desperation move. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Frenzy. Thank you, Michael. All right, now, equities are falling. S&P 500 shares down on that index, six points, three-tenths of a percent. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Elbow Beach, Bermuda, an oceanfront enclave of classic style and contemporary luxury, 50 acres of lush gardens, and a private ribbon of pink sand beach. Go to elbowbeachbermuda.com for more details. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. 
And I'm Karen Moscow. The Bloomberg Futures Report brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for a global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. U.S. stock index futures are lower as oil resumed its declines before central bank meetings this week in the U.S. and Japan, and as investors await earnings reports to gauge corporate health. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down 8 points now. Dow E-mini futures down 56, and NASDAQ E-mini futures down 16. The DAX in Germany is down 8 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 2.30 seconds. The yield 1.89 percent. NYMEX crude oil down a tenth of a percent or 4 Four cents to forty-three sixty-eight a barrel. Comex Gold is up six tenths percent, or six dollars ninety cents, to twelve thirty-six ninety an ounce. The euro, a dollar twelve fifty-four. The yen, one eleven point two four. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Mike and Francine. Karen Moscow, thank you very much. Margie Patel has been a managing director and senior portfolio manager with Wells Capital Management, or as they so politely put it, one of its predecessors in this world of bank mergers since a. 2007, uh, she manages uh, the Wells Fargo Advantage Mutual Funds. Margie, we've been uh, talking this morning with people about whether or not they think that we have bottomed out in the world. Your call has been uh, somewhat um, disappointed, uh, or you're expecting disappointment, given that earnings uh, have been uh, you know, contracting, have been uh, falling for the last couple of quarters. Are you still feeling that way? Uh, do you still? Uh, would you still put yourself on the pessimistic side of the spectrum? Uh, more on the pessimistic side. I think when people say the market's bottoming out, the you know economy's bottoming out. To me, that implies, and then therefore we'll have a big cyclical rebound. And that I don't see. I see a leveling out, and then a very very slow increase on the part of a handful of countries like the U.S. and probably deterioration for most of the emerging market countries. So at this point, not a lot of reason to put money to work in equities. Well, I think the return outlook is pretty muted, mid-single-digit over the next year. So um, that's, that's, that says it's not a compelling opportunity, um, better than cash, but uh, not what we think historically we should get from equities. Uh, Margie, where do you put your money then? Do you, do you look for good value companies or do you look for the ones that may be overcrowded but uh, they will continue to outperform? No, I, I look for companies that I think have an ability to grow independently because they can develop uh, new products, have been, you know, proprietary intellectual property and can grow that way, that are in sectors of the economy that are still growing, even if the general outlook is pretty flat. So some parts of healthcare tools and devices, even in discretionary, I think autos and housing still have an upswing more than the overall economy. So that's what I look for, companies that, that can sort of make their own destiny. What about defense sectors? Well, uh, defense sectors as opposed to defensive, I, I like very much. I think that uh, there's always a war breaking out somewhere, and it looks as if we should continue to increase the amount of money that we spend on our military. I think that's a trend worldwide. Those com- companies are very, very efficient, high cash flow, and so I think they'll continue to be surprisingly good performers. I have to ask you about uh, the idea of, of you said looking for companies that are generating their own growth, but what about companies that are going out and buying it? And we're seeing continued M&A activity. We've had some today. Is, it, is that worth taking a flyer on? Everybody, it seems, has a pile of cash and they're looking to make attractive acquisitions. 
Um, but to me, I take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. It's always easy to buy things, and maybe they're not as good a value as you thought. Valuations are a lot higher than they've been over the last few years, so it's going to be harder for companies to make an acquisition and add value. I think the better place to make acquisitions or some of the smaller acquisitions, you know, 50, 100 million. So a smaller company can benefit, but it doesn't move the needle for a big company. So at this point, um, it doesn't really matter what you have on your balance sheet. You're, unless you're generating additional top line, you're probably not going to get a whole lot. Well, that's right, and there are very few companies that are able to grow the revenue line more than low single digits. Where do you see the, the most growth coming from, or what are the, the industry groups that actually you won't see growth, and so you'll staying well away from? Um, I am continuing to be pretty cautious about industrials. I really don't see the rebound, and I think the stocks are pretty much reflected as if we're going to have a big rebound. I'm not too keen on the pharmaceutical area because I think the pricing pressures that they're going to encounter are really going to put pressure on, on revenues. Um, I think something actually like utilities, which has been a sector that's perennially unpopular, is going to continue to surprise on the upside because they actually have the ability to generate uh, revenue growth in the mid-single digit, either because of mandated capital expenditures or little growth in their service territory. So I think that uh, those are the kind of sectors I think will do um, a little better and some that will do worse. Well, it sounds like you're uh, sort of advocating the standard defensive posture that people take when there's recession ahead or in train, are, are you seeing that or are you just sort of reacting to a meh kind of economy? <laughs> well, to I use I, a technical I, term here. That's a CFA, <laughs> as Tom would say, CFA level four. <laughs> yes. I, I do think that the um, so-called value companies present a little bit more um, – total return opportunity because a lot of the grossy names, I think, have gotten very high priced. And again, people are looking for a, a much stronger cyclical rebound than I can see any place in the world. So uh, I think that those companies that have high cash flow and have the ability to sustain that over the next couple of years look like they're more attractive. Well, that's what Tom Keene would jump on, the, the, the free cash flow. Uh, but everybody seems to be putting that free cash directly into the bank these days. Yes, and that's a problem. I shouldn't say it's a problem, but uh, companies have a lot of cash that they don't have a productive use for, and I guess that's good news because in previous markets they would go out and uh, spend on capital expenditures, increase capacity, and then be set up wrong when the next recession and so the good news is they are being very prudent with their cash. Most of what they're doing is looking for M&A opportunities or buying back stock, which is always a perennial uh, use of cash for most companies. But again, that doesn't really give you ability to sustain much higher growth going forward because you're not investing it and making a bigger return. All right. Let's come back with Margie Patel from Wells Capital. Uh, right now, we're not – well, I mean, the equity markets are sort of supporting what Margie says with futures in the U.S. lower S&P futures down by 7, three-tenths of a percent in Europe. Stock 600 is off by a point of four-tenths drop. I'm Michael McKee, along with Francine Lacqua. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. We're counting down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today.